0: now, Hollywood Prospectus.
1: Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Hold your applause. Yeah. Holla. Hello and welcome to the Hollywood Prospectus podcast. My name is Chris Ryan. I am a writer for Grantland.com. And on the other line, he gets to, likes to get wet from a number of bad habits. It's Andy Greenwald. Hey, man. Hey, Chris. You know. I
0: think long-time listeners enjoy your. What happened uh, to that boy? <laughs> they enjoy your mirthful introductions of me that are drawn from the previous night's television yeah. entertainment. Yeah, yeah. This one just is drawn from life. <laughs> you, that's you just like me to a T. Some bad habits. I'm just getting wet from a little office coffee right now, and it's really perking me up. Um,
1: I haven't heard "getting mm. wet" being used in that context in since in training day. I don't since think. Since training day, yeah. and, and can I
0: say, I thought it was specifically. For a high derived from angel dust or PCP. Me too, me too. I thought that's what getting wet. Maybe we're just old guys. Well, no, because you think of all the be.
1: things that we started saying after training day, so getting wet was not one of them.
0: Well, that's because we weren't that into PCP at that time. No, no. But had we been, we would have said it more. I mean, it's definitely one of the coolest ways to say like getting messed up. I'm I'm not mad at that. Like of all of Nick Pizzolatto's like verbal digressions, I'm I'm cool with that one.
1: Yeah. Are you? Well, let's 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 introduce ourselves. We're here to talk about uh, True Detective, episode two, season two. We're going to talk a little bit about the new AMC show Humans. Yes. And some great new rap albums from Meek Mill and Vince Staples. And we're going to talk about a big reunion that happened last night that I'm more yeah. excited
0: to talk about than you. Rap but news. We'll, we'll get to it.
1: Uh. So let's talk a little bit about True Detective. Um, we don't have to belabor it because it was a very uh, interesting episode. I thought mm. you want to start from the end and go backwards. Or you want to start from the beginning and go forward. No, let's
0: start from the beginning and go forward. Yeah, let's
1: Which... definitely talk about that that five minute water stain story because that was Whoa. dope. <laughs> that
0: was awful. I'm sorry. Look, you know, you know, I've been very positive about the season so far. I'm trying to be and. I think for people who for for some reason are listening to the segment of our podcast but maybe aren't watching the show, I really, really encourage you to read – chris's recaps of the show because honestly reading your recaps makes the show better Thank because you. you are seeing the best version of it it's like you're a sunny person you know what i mean yeah like you see the best version of people you,
1: <laughs> you such are a seeing a sunny person
0: <laughs> that is just what people say about you you are seeing the best version of this show yeah and i think you're seeing things in it that i don't even know if it's creators intended to be seen but it it, it, it reads much better watches much better when you read it and so f- for all of that I am generally, you know, I'm lukewarm on much of it, but I'm generally positive because even when it gets clumsy it's dealing with ideas, performances, settings that are of interest to me. Yeah. That said, nothing this was the, that is the lowest point of the episodes I saw, I think, for two reasons. One because that speech is just like punishingly dull yeah. and uninteresting and just like big honking blaring <laughs> klaxons of like character development in the most indulgent way, that if, if, the, if a writer hadn't gained complete control over this entire project, there's no way anyone would have let him write that speech. Yeah, because there were no long speeches in
1: the first season. <laughs> well, no, he earned the right
0: to do it again, I'm yeah. saying. But that, that is not something that he should have earned. But, but secondly, this was the one where he left Vince Vaughn out on the court too
1: long. I thought it would have been cool if, I, I mean, I was sort of imagining like a, a scenario in which, you know, they did like two or three takes of that speech. And Kelly Riley pulled aside Justin Lin and was like, uh, "You know, I wanted to try something in this. One. Just kind of, <laughs> just kind of like something off the wall." And they were like, "Okay, Ooh, we have like yeah. five minutes. We can do that." And like they set it up, and he goes, and he tells this story, and then she goes, goes. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was, I mean, it was a fine story, but it was like, no way your dad was an alcoholic who loved, locked you in the basement. What a shock.
0: I know, exactly. <laughs> Everything you've done since then has suggested a normal upbringing, like basically romper room, but in, uh, in, in Illinois. No... But you know what I'm saying about Vince Vaughn here? Like, I think we're not the only ones to say it. So far, he is the weak link in the show, I would say, and both the character but certainly the performance. And I feel like this is an example. We talked about this last week that one of the best things about a show like this is when you have a writer who is in love with actors and writes to their potential. Like, here's how he's always seen Colin Farrell, as this bolo-tie-sporting dirtbag who likes to get wet. (laughs) And guess what? Colin Farrell is really good at playing that guy. It's a perfect symbiosis of writer and actor. Yeah. I think that in this case, he sees Vince Vaughn as something that Vince Vaughn might not be capable of being on screen. He just couldn't say these words in a way that made them compelling.
1: Um, I, I thought that Vaughn got better as the episode went on. The uh, the as, as sort of things started to unravel for the Frank Semyon character of, uh, you know, with the, his land deal falling apart and this guy walking off with millions of his dollars and yeah. finding out. I think it, we're supposed to understand that he was getting jobbed on that deal even if ben casper had lived i think he had charged him more money for it or something like that but in any case i thought that though the first flashes of vince vaughn wedding crashers vince vaughn came out when he came when he braced that guy on the side of the road and was like hey man what are you like that was a cool scene um but but here's the thing about vince vaughn he is capable of
0: so many things like complete and utter blinding bullshit. being like number one yeah he's great at that and not many people are that good at that so i'm not trying to belittle it i don't think he's particularly good at At playing doubt. Like that is not his thing. Like he plays characters who are propped up and maybe there's some sadness. And like there was you know, there's an emotional arc to old school. Like I am not that is a good movie (laughs) on a number of levels. But for him to be I just didn't buy this darkness at the root of it. I I I buy there's I buy there being sadness or loneliness or bluster, but but this like whatever this is, this dark doubt, whatever that's lurking at the heart of Frank Semyon, I just I'm not buying it. Right.
1: what did you? So, I, one of the things that jumped out at me about this episode and then so far with this season is the, the sort of shaking off of the Yellow King idea that this idea mm-hmm. that it, the, the mysteries, so on, so, so to speak, are not as, um, not overbearing but as prevalent or, or as in the foreground as they were in the first season and that we're sort of getting to know these people a little bit more than we did the last season and well, i i do think that that's yeah. kind of necessary if you're going to have four leads like that to have to have a little bit more space to to work with
0: yeah i mean this is what we're seeing here is i i, I to, again i always feel like grudging when i'm giving pits a lot of credit here and i don't mean to sound that way certainly not in this specific point like this is a responsive season of television in a lot of ways. And some of that is a little bit clumsy. You know, people were, people were criticizing the lack of strong female characters in the first season. So in this season, he introduces Rachel McAdams as a character who carries multiple knives in order to gut men like fish. Yeah, that's his response. It's a little bit of a perhaps an over response in some ways, but that's his response. Similarly, the first season had just two cylinders um in these main characters propping up this enormous snow globe of conspiracy and mysticism and occult and yeah, yeah. you know and, and a good deal of hot air and nonsense this season doesn't seem to have any of that in, is the response is instead and this is what you wrote in your recap too the mystery lurks within the characters yeah and and who these
1: people really are because even though they're very forthcoming with a lot of their personal details or at least most of them are uh they obviously each have something that's sort of driving them a little crazy. But, but let me
0: ask you this. So one thing that we talked about a lot last week is the the dichotomy or the, the, the whatever you want to call it that lurks within, beneath the bolo tie of Ray Vel'Coro. The
1: duality the, serving the public interest, yeah.
0: The duality. And I thought that was actually a pretty clever self-referential joke that was. And Farrell does such what... a
1: great job of being like, I really do. You know, like, I
0: do that. <laughs> I totally am that. But also I like the fact that that sounded like something that Russ Cole would say in season one. And in this season it's intentionally nonsense doublespeak used by a, you know, by a bureaucratic master. Yeah, I mean, for, I that. all
1: lines aside about, like, his, his, like, banter with Rachel McAdams about, you know, I, I identify as a feminist because I also have body image issues or whatever he yes, said. he said that. I think that they've done a good job of making Ray somebody who grapples with his vocabulary and grapples with expressing himself. And he's basically a drunk, you know, and, and yes. is not, is not a very communicative one.
0: But... He, he, so here's what I wanted to say. The, but the the battle that's raging inside of him is not, so far anyway, does not seem to be particularly, or maybe that was all we get to see. But that is, it, it's not that profound. I mean, we've seen this a lot before. We've seen men, male characters, cop characters who are screwed up by violence and sort of seek refuge in their bad habits and getting wet. But this it's also a, a tradition. I mean, that is, as we, as we said last week, that is the typical um, busted, knight-errant crime thriller lead. Mm-hmm. That and, and so I buy it. And I, and I enjoy the way he's almost a cliche at times because Farrell's performance can rise above. I think – I'm curious in, in comparison to that what you think about Taylor Kitsch's role because so far that's been a lot clumsier. Um, you know, did, I think you wrote about Chekhov's bank teller anecdote. Yeah. Um, the demons lurking deep within the heart of Paul Woodruff do not seem to be lurking that deeply. It's pretty evident and we haven't seen much more of him either way to – for him to stand out,
1: you know yeah, I mean? and he, he hasn't gotten a lot of screen time. I don't think in comparison to the others, or at least not the most meaningful. I mean, he, has he doesn't save very Davidovich much. Scene, he's had two pretty strange scenes with his girlfriend, and then sort of at the end of the episode of uh, the second episode, we get to see a little bit of him. Maybe un- unclenching a little bit, which is which is something that he's been pretty tight the entire time. I mean, he only seems interested in getting back on his motorcycle. He uh, loves motorcycles. I have to imagine that we're gonna find. He may not want to talk about what happened in the desert, but I have to imagine we're gonna find out a little bit more about it soon.
0: Yeah, I would think so.
1: Um, um, but let's let's talk about the very last scene because obviously that's the sort of. Wait,
0: can we can we just do a quick detour for Jesse's girl here? Because yeah,
1: <laughs> behind the candelabra there.
0: Obviously, we've all seen Rob Lowe's performance in Behind the Candelabra, yeah. and I'm glad that they wanted to do an homage to it so soon, really. It was kind of brave to do it just like a year later. <laughs> they had
1: the wigs, I mean, in the HBO closet, you know? That said, casting
0: 80s soft rock icon Rick Springfield in yeah. this part was terrific. Also, that's and just
1: such a great, like, L.A. noir thing is, like, the weird yes. rehab clinic that's also a plastic surgery hospital. Yeah, like.
0: and that was Inherent, Inherent Vice had that basically that entire yeah. same subplot. Yeah. Um, I love that that was Rick Springfield. I felt like that showed, a, again, a level of wit and a little bit of humor that is, was completely absent in season one. I loved the character. I think that this, as good as that scene was, because it was just totally oddball, and for that I enjoyed yeah. it, but there was a moment within that very good scene that sort of highlighted a lot of the weaknesses of this season so far, which is the direction. And there's a scene where he's talking, and he's saying all the weird stuff that he's saying about Ben Casper. And then there's the cut to the deep like the georgia O'Keeffe rock formation you know that is basically <laughs> yeah. yeah and then it cuts to rachel mcadams being like oh <laughs> my a feminine orifice eh? a <laughs> and then like winks at the camera you know and then it, then it cuts like the old benny Money monty python montage of like rockets taking off <laughs> and like trains going into tunnels it's not subtle, is what I'm saying. That's
1: an d- interesting textual read of the of the scene. Um, <laughs> Thank you.
0: I like to do the deep reads. Jacoby, when Orathus. I came into the
1: office today, he thought it would have been, he wanted to mention that he, th- he thought it would have been dope if, when Colin Farrell gets shot at the end of that episode, it had just gone, what happened to that boy? And like Birdman. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I wrote in my, uh, my review that I do not think he is dead. Um, this is a show that has lingered very graphically upon the blown-off crotchal region of another yeah, man. That was if, a cool look. Sh- Colin Farrell was taking true shotgun blasts to the chest area, I think that we would have seen some, some plumage. Some blowback? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> some yeah. plumage. <laughs> yeah.
0: I, before we even talk about the mystery of it, I want to say that I thought that scene that whole extended cool. sequence was great like th- that was the best thing in the season so far to me and it's interesting pizzolato gets a lot of attention good and bad for his words and for the speeches that he writes and he puts in these characters mouths i think the best scenes so far in this season have been basically silent like i i really liked the scene in the last episode when when colin farrell goes and he roughs up the reporter um you know when he puts the mask over yeah. his face and like just says, Shh. I mean, that is visual thinking in a way that is very creative. It's very entertaining. It was super creepy and memorable. Similarly, this trip into what appeared to be like this is the platonic ideal of a West Hollywood <laughs> furtive drug den. Yeah, right. Uh, th- that whole scene was just so creepy and odd. And the, the camera lurking like a like a like it's almost as if there were three interlopers in that house. And one of them was the camera. Yeah. Um, and then I, it was a legitimately shocking moment. And my feeling about that was it got me. Oh. I got. I was very angry because I love Cal- Colin Farrell. I also thought, okay, if if that's it, that makes a lot of sense because if you look back on everything that Ray did in this episode, it was essentially a reckoning. He had he had what could stand in as final conversations with every important character in his life. Um, I also thought it would then basically. Reduce the central dynamic of True Detective Season 2 to one that was a little bit more similar to Season 1, in which we which would is, be back Which is two to
1: cops and one bad. Two yeah, cops I got and one bad. Um, and, yeah, and so I guess so. I just thought so. that... I didn't think it was Reckonings as much as it was like we were getting deeper into the people he owes and the people he wants to make whole. And I don't think that... Mm-hmm. So I think that we got... I feel like his story is just beginning. And I think that...
0: I, I think so too. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't Here's the biggest argument, and I know we went through this with a certain character's demise and with Game of Thrones just a few weeks ago, but here's the biggest argument in favor of Ray Velcro somehow surviving a point-blank shotgun blast to the body, body <laughs> area. Um, the show is just—what you know, what did Vince Vaughn say at one point? Am I diminished? The show yeah. is irreparably diminished without his character and without that performance. We, there, there has just not been enough girding of the plot. yeah to support, I don't think, six more hours of story without that character at the heart of it.
1: I think, uh, just briefly, I wanted to mention, because you you did mention the direction, and and I kind of feel like Justin Lin got a raw deal this season to do the first two, not only in the sort of shadow of what Carrie Fukunaga did last season, but the first episode being such, like, a heavy lift of setting up story and also, like, establishing mood, and there were just... You know, I don't know whose decision it was to basically intersperse every scene with a cutaway of freeways intersecting, which is I get it, but was also used to great effect in the first season. And now just seems like a this is what True Detective does is do overhead shots of highways. Oh, Um, it
0: it, it is. It has become the heavy dramatic equivalent of the Seinfeld like. Like But I did feel like he was.
1: I felt like that scene, the Colin Farrell scene with the Birdman was It's a shame he didn't have more scenes like that to do. Not that he could only do action, but that getting the camera moving, getting characters moving, having Mm -hmm. action, having something take place in a scene other than a conversation really was like playing to his strengths.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I, I, it's very hard to start... Okay, let's go back. It's very hard to start any ambitious story, no matter what you're doing, whether it's a book or a TV show or a movie. It's very hard to start something from basically complete dead stop yeah and the first episode without question i mean i've said this before i think it was the weakest that i'd seen of the season it really felt like someone pushing the boulder up the hill you know it really had a lot of work to get to the point where the story actually started and i think that in some cases that may have ultimately helped our experience because i know we all loved seeing colin farrell dad of the year um (laughs) but i do think that was an important place to start the story i appreciated that although that maybe i'd reconsider that if Episode three begins with his funeral. Right, um, with the kid wearing the sneakers. Chad's
1: wearing Chad's got a pair of LeBrons. He's just like <laughs> my father,
0: <laughs> just tears dropping yeah. on the laces. Um, but yeah, it, it, it would be. I don't know. There's, there's no point in talking about this now. We'll talk about it throughout the season, but. I, I do. I, it's, I keep getting this feeling, especially because I do like so much of it and so much more of it than I like the first season. I kind of wish that someone had come into Pizzolatto's bungalow in Ojai and just been like, "Okay, yeah, but what if?" You know, and just like pitched him on one thing that it just started a little bit faster, just a yeah. little bit crazy. I think a it's a slow more. show.
1: I, I think it's it's just on on its own. It's on its own wavelength, and and it it's it's incredibly pretentious. But I happen to really enjoy it. True Detective fans, what's up? Uh, You know, I was thinking we have this big mystery to solve on True Detective, but there's another mystery. Where do you go to get your best summer tickets for concerts, baseball games, festivals? Mystery solved. Go to SeatGeek. It's the best way for fans to save money on sports and concert tickets, and it's a 100% free service. SeatGeek aggregates tickets from every major ticket site online and then puts them all in one place, so you do not have to do any sleuthing here. It makes comparison shopping easy. basically like Kayak.com for concerts, festivals, and sporting events. And when you're ready to buy your tickets, you can snag a great deal right from your phone with just two taps on your app. There is no better way to find great tickets this summer. I am not lying. SeatGeek has a technology called DealScore... Of, like, a money ball for tickets, it calculates what every ticket in the building is worth and whether the price you may pay for that ticket is a good deal or a bad deal. No other ticketing app has features like this to redeem your promo code and save 20 bucks on tickets. Download the free SeatGeek app and enter promo code Hollywood in the app. SeatGeek will then send you $20 once you've made your first SeatGeek purchase. Download the free SeatGeek app today, it's no mystery, and enter promo code Hollywood. The SeatGeek app is your ticket to summer sports and concert tickets. Um, let's talk about something else, though. Like, we we have, weirdly, a lot to choose from. Aside from True Detective dominating Sundays, there's a real nice buffet going on out there for people to pick and choose from.
0: This is the second straight year where I think that summer has distinguished itself as the best season of TV. Yeah. It's the best for TV. There's just, other than True Detective, which, you know, now with its slightly diminished profile, no longer feels like this heavy shared obligation, um... There's just so... There is exactly that. It's a buffet. There is so much to choose from. There is not that one singular show that everybody's watching, but there's so many great little treats, and they just keep arriving, and it feels so light to discover something new that doesn't have the backstory. We talked about Deutschland 83, which is still good. Halt and Catch Fire Season 2, which is really good. Uh, Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell, uh, Catastrophe, which I finally finished, just wrote a piece about. Wonderful. Up for today. Catastrophe. By the way, when we talked about it last week, we were talking about how great it is as a comedy, and it's really good as a comedy, but the second half of the season, which is three episodes... It's good at being serious,
1: too. Yeah, they did an excellent job with just making, like, a, a very grounded, real, like, show. It's fantastic.
0: It, I'm so excited to have more of those, and Rob Delaney said there would be a second season. Um,
1: There's Mr. Robot, which we're going to talk about next week, and I know you're writing about later this week, but I watched yes. the first episode of and was just pretty, not blown away, but, like, very impressed by it.
0: People are very impressed and excited by the show, and I can't quite tell yet whether it's a testament to the quality of the show or... The total shock that this is an HBO show, I mean, sorry, a USA show featuring Christian Slater called Mr. Robot.
1: Hey, I Check it out. I mean, it's, it's, yeah, we're gonna talk it's, about it's really it good. But we wanted to talk a little bit about what the new show on uh, AMC called Humans.
0: Yeah, I like the show. I was very surprised that I liked the show. But um, it is part of, of what has become a movement of this brave new world of uh, content sharing. Yeah, right. Where shows premiere. Continental
1: UK. content sharing, yeah.
0: Exactly. These are UK shows um, that are made f- to premiere in the UK, but I, often they have some international funding or some American funding, so that they are made. So, which usually means at least one American in the cast, but it also means that they will premiere here shortly after they premiere Yeah, there. William Hurt so, as
1: the Honorable Woman on this episode, <laughs> on this show. William Hurt,
0: great by the way. Never been a big Hurt guy. You know, Me even going either, back never to, really uh, got Hurt body heat. Didn't yeah. get it because
1: I think it was the mustache. In yeah. That one. Broadcast news, I think, is like an essential Hurt text.
0: Yeah, that's a deep hurt text. I Lost in Space, probably not his finest hour, no. though Matt LeBlanc kind of carried that film. Big chill.
1: He's good in Big Chill. He's good in Big Chill.
0: But the thing about him is he's always kind of a – I always felt like his reputation was way, way bigger than his cultural footprint. Like he was yeah. – he's always talked about in these hushed Ooh, terms like the great, yeah. the great American actor, you know, who is uh, uncompromising and yeah. prickly. But when he brought it, he brought it. But he never brought it really. Um Weirdly, really good in this. I don't know what it was about this project that, that somehow he decided to just show up for and bring his A-game Well, for, so far, really it definitely terrific. feels
1: like his parts of it were shot, like, <laughs> in a house very far away from wherever. Like, like, like. like,
0: the, like the Carrie Fisher parts of uh, Catastrophe, yeah, which right. basically did over Skype from yeah. Pacific Palisades. Uh, anyway, so this show Humans is a UK show, and it premiered to gangbuster record ratings there three weeks ago, uh, and I'm not sure how it did here yet. But the subject matter is... I mean, in the summer preview, having not seen it, I basically shrugged because it seemed like another show about, oh, the perils of allowing artificial life into our real lives. Right. But it's very smartly done. So in this, this is a show, it's a sideways universe, London. It's basically today, except in addition to iPads, we also have synths who are next-gen robot people who do all of the menial tasks of the world, like collect tickets and um, perform sex acts for money and are also household accessories. So you can have a synth in your home who will cook and clean for you and sort of just otherwise stay out of the way. Um, here's the thing about the show. The plot line about the family, the sort of, you know, three kids, harried, overworked mom, dad doesn't want to do the cleaning. So he goes out and he buys a synth. The show is so kind of clever and perceptive about family stuff that I would have been happy if that had been the show. I feel like that alone could have been the show, right?
1: Right, rather like, than have this, like, rebellion underground, like, synth mutiny thing that's also happening.
0: Because so far there are three distinct, three and a half distinct plot lines. Um, there's the family drama in which they buy a synth, and the synth seems to be acting up a little bit. There is the William Hurt um, sort <laughs> of old man river storyline where he has an outdated synth played by our man ollie from uh not ollie played by uh what was the guy's name olivar the dude from little finger's brothel oh is that him I, yeah he,
1: different haircut so i didn't notice but more clothes yeah. yeah
0: uh plays his outdated synth who's basically his son yeah. he treats him like his son even though they want the government wants him to upgrade to a caretaker like elder care robot and then we have um uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's a cop who investigates robot crime, which, by the way, that's a cool job, right? Yeah. be a robot cop. Um, <laughs> that'd be a movie, Robot Cop, right? It sort of flows <laughs> off the tongue. It'd be like a robot. <laughs> write that down. I'm gonna write that down. I'm gonna make a lot of money one of these days. Um, just or, not, not from
1: writing movies, though.
0: <laughs> not from writing movies. No, no, no. I just was promising you that. <laughs> yeah. Maybe by flipping houses with the renters. Um, <laughs> oh, and then the final plot is this sort of it, this guy who seems to be leading some sort of family yeah. of fully sentient synths yeah. and what's going on with that. he's trying to free what, them, free the synths. What did you think of this show? Uh, I've been describing it.
1: It's, it was fine. It was good. Uh, it's a little hard. <laughs> oh, no,
0: it's the Chris Ryan Fine. No, it's a little oh, hard. Oh, the Chris Ryan Fine did has you see spelled Ex Machina? so many shows. No.
1: <laughs> well, no. Ex Machina is basically like everything yes. the show is trying to say about the world in 90 minutes. So I got I got that all okay. done.
0: But here's what I said in my in my piece that I wrote for uh, www.grantland.com. Okay. I admitted that I have not seen x Machina because if I'm I believe I'm correct and that it's a motion picture film.
1: It is also available on on streaming outlets, but that's okay. Only
0: recently as I learned this weekend when okay. I saw it there mocking me. Um You looked
1: it up on 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 uh, Expedia.com.
0: I asked I asked Jeeves about it <laughs> and it was Jeeves was like, "Here you go." Um uh, I admitted that I hadn't seen that movie, and I also talked about how basically everything emotional that seems to be in the show—and I've seen four episodes of it, and it gets better—but was basically in the 60 minutes of the Black Mirror episode, um, uh, Be Right Back. Yeah. Uh, which is the one with, with uh, Marvel's Agent Carter herself, Hayley Atwell— And, and Donald Gleeson. Who's in Ex Machina, right? Yeah. Um, That hour is one of the best hours of TV from the last five years, I would say, and it's about similar things, and it gets it done with this enormous economy and just devastating emotion. But I was kind of appreciating how obviously an eight-hour, potentially longer, because the English show is based on a Swedish show that ran for 20 episodes. Oh, okay. they, They are just fundamentally different things. You know, you can you can get by in 90 minutes with one mood or you can hit one point and then you can just hit it, hit it until the person is just dazed and bloody. Yeah. On a TV show with eight hours, you have to spread it out. You have to pass the ball around. And you have to cover different angles and just try to – you
1: have to flood – And they're trying the, to be how, a couple of different shows. There's a political show. There's a cop procedural. Exactly. There's like a weird family comedy drama going on. I, I get it. It, it. Exactly. And I so really – I, I, I like the first episode, itself. but I thought that the second episode sort of drag a little bit. I,
0: I also think there's something to be said – it's interesting to sort of observe the way – so far, anyway, the way humans treats technology, which is, I think, markedly different from the way um, mass mass entertainment treated technology even as recently as, like, 10, 15 years ago. Yeah. Which is robots and advanced technology aren't really immediately seen as a threat or an enemy to be defeated anymore. They're basically something that we it, – it's accepted. It's part of our life. Yeah. Like, that time is over now where we were like, one day this is going to happen and look out. You know, <laughs> this, this, because Because basically, like – I mean, Skynet is more or less real, right? I mean, Skynet
1: exists now. Yeah, and I think so that there's like the certain things that they're talking about, like this singularity of, like, we'll invent robots one day that will then not need us to reproduce and yeah. to eventually rise and defeat us. Some of the stuff that's interesting about this show is happening on the margins. There's a uh, news report that the family watches in the background where yeah. the broadcaster talks about how they've basically replaced child labor and all unfair employment practices have been replaced by robot practices. And... That bit is interesting, and as is the oldest child in the Hawkins family's rather militant attitude towards synths. And yes. she's like, "You're a slave. That's all you are." But that's. But that's, I that's, thought that that was kind wait, of weird. I don't know that people like. If, let's say okay. Let's just say, in five years or ten years, mm-hmm. this is real. Do you, is there really going to be like a group of people here who are like cool? Like I get to now bring back the rhetoric of slavery. I I, mean, I guess I, I shouldn't. Un- I, overestimate that wasn't, humanity, but...
0: That wasn't... First of all, yes, that will happen, and it will happen on Twitter. Um, not, hashtag not all since. But <laughs> I do think the more interesting thing that that character, uh, Maddie, the, the oldest daughter, says is she's basically... When she's introduced to us, she's, seems it, she's presented as a basically a genius-level, savant-level student in robotics or computing or whatever, computer science. But she's not applying herself, and she's totally checked out because... She doesn't see the point of excelling in a world where machines already are excelling. Right. And I think that's kind of an interesting idea, like the cap it might put on people's ambition or achievement. Because say she wanted to be a doctor, well, if a robot is already, the, you know, a completely perfect surgeon, then what's the point in trying? Right. I sort of like that idea more. I mean, I think it's more subtle in, in – in, it's, it's a lot more subtle than I expected. I'll put it that way. Because – through four episodes the the robots aren't here to destroy us. Is there They're any kind of here?
1: Is there anything you wanted like to like lo- looking outside of the show? Is there anything to read into one of the better AMC shows? I mean I know that Halt uh, and Catch Fire is good too. Oh, I know where you're going and I agree, yeah. Was not produced by AMC solely.
0: I think it's actually pretty smart and a it's sort of a credit to them because this show was actually developed by Channel 4, right? I, Channel 4, like Catastrophe, but and Channel like 4 partnered and Black Mirror, but Channel 4 partnered with Microsoft Xbox Studios. So, Humans was supposed to be the first show that would debut on the video game console oh. in the same way that Powers debuted on the PlayStation Network. And then about a year ago, Microsoft was like, wait, we're making a studio for TV shows for our video game machine? <laughs> no, we're not going to do that. So, they shut down all of it, and AMC stepped in to pick up the funding and to take the show. Um, what was that meeting like?
1: Yeah, like, like so we're, you guys are sure you want to do this. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. Yeah, we're, we're committed. Yeah, We've never, ever done this before. But...
1: Come on. like, uh, Okay, we're going to go, like, shoot this. It's okay, like... we're going to go. We, we hired William Hurt. <laughs> do you understand that?
0: <laughs> <laughs> William Hurt doesn't even know yeah. what Pong is, yeah. and you guys are making this TV show? Um, I think it was pretty smart, because I've written a lot about AMC's, let's say, they had some hiccups in terms of their development. And it's always been weird to criticize their development for, for two reasons. One, because they are responsible for two of the greatest shows in television history, certainly recent television history in Mad Men and Breaking Bad. But they also have the most popular show on TV, Full Stop, in yeah. The Walking Dead. So they're in way better shape than almost any other network. So criticizing them seems a little odd. But And they're also this... very
1: young in their life cycle compared, compared to a lot of other yes.
0: networks. And, and and there was a lot of um, executive-level instability, and they they changed – The people who were making the shows changed, so now they have a team that's been in place for a while. They all
1: work for Xbox now. (laughs) They all
0: work for Xbox doing the next thing. No, they all work for the Atari Lynx sitcom development unit. We want a
1: show that's not about robots, but it stars Kevin Klein. Yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Who else was at Julia? Yeah, is Raul Julia still alive? No? Damn. Um, (laughs) Damn, Julia. Oh, Julia, you're so good. Um... We don't have to keep talking about this. No, I, I want all I want to say was they are kind of rebounding a little bit. They they very smartly saw the flaws in Halt and Catch Fire and fixed them in a way that I don't think many shows have been able to fix themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, so season two is really good. Better Call Saul is a huge hit. We loved it. Uh, but it's a huge hit with ratings-wise as well. Yeah, But I think they're really smart in recognizing something that other networks have either been too slow to recognize or too proud to recognize, which is... There are only so many good shows, and developing a really good show is really, really hard. So if you can fill the gaps in your schedule with really good shows that maybe you didn't make, like, there's no shame in that. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, so getting into business with humans was smart. Similarly, um, the the John Le Carre adaptation of The Night Manager with, um, uh, with Loki and uh, – Hugh Laurie, um, yeah. And, uh, is Hugh, wait, no, is it, I thought it was, is it Tom Hiddleston and Hugh Laurie or yeah. is it Damian Lewis? Yeah. It's okay. So it's, it's, it's House and Loki doing Le Carre, So we are already fully in on this, yeah. right? But that is, again, that was a UK half, a UK property where they were like, okay, who wants to go have these on this? And there was a bidding war and AMC was like, we are going to do this because this is good for our company. So yeah, I think that's it makes, smart.
1: It makes sense for them because even though something like HBO has a very recognizable sort of level of quality or at least interest in the, what they do, um, The more we get to a place where there is literally way too much television to almost even know about. Yes. I mean, every day we get tweets about like, hey, did you guys check out like iZombie? Did you guys check out Arrow? Did you guys check this out? And It's just like there's just not enough time. Blanket no. Yeah. As this stuff gets more and more overwhelming, I don't think that people are going to care so much about network identities right like when yes. you see these sort of like nbc comedy like previews with like mr craig robinson's like sitcom which could very well be very funny
0: but they're also just burning it off in the summer but
1: you're also so. looking at it feels like you're looking at something in a time capsule where it's like the nbc comedy lineup is not like a thing you know like she, if you put out one good that. comedy it would theoretically rise to the top
0: here's the counter to that so th- you know, for a long time, the the brand identity of networks was valuable in terms of, of viewer loyalty, mm-hmm. right? We knew what NBC comedy meant. We knew we knew HBO stood for quality. We Well, and also of knew the idea that expect. somebody would
1: watch television for two and a half hours on and a Wednesday put. night on the same channel.
0: Here's the way. Here's why it's valuable again, though. Owning your catalog, basically owning your masters, yeah. because as networks become not just brands, um, not just channels, but basically subscription services, content providers, as everyone starts to go over the top, which is the term that they use, and it's not just the arm wrestling movie. So like HBO That's Now. A, and, yeah, and HBO Now, basically. So HBO needs to have a lot more content than it used to, which is going to result in some definite dips in quality, but they also need to control that content to a, to a different degree because it needs to immediately go into their permanent library so people continue to pay however much money they're paying for HBO Now. That's why Netflix is just ramping up production. They don't really... They care if you watch Daredevil Week 1, But it's more valuable to them to always have Daredevil first season. And that when you watch season
1: two, you go back and watch season one or whatever. Exactly. And
0: so I guess the the, the argument against doing what AMC is doing would be I don't know who owns the stacking rights or the perpetuity rights or I don't even know what kind of rights for something like humans. Like, I don't know if AMC controls them to the point where if AMC ever goes over the top, well, oh, you can always check out humans because maybe they revert to Channel 4 or the studio. So 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 in so maybe that's why it makes only only makes sense to do this stuff in the short term. But now we're getting deep into biz talk. I like yeah, it. biz
1: talk. Uh, well, let's move on. Let's talk a little bit about some of the music releases. Tomorrow is probably the best day of rap album releases I can remember in a really long time.
0: You like, really snuck up on us, though, right? Like, well, I, was I knew not the prepared Vince for this.
1: record was going to be good. Vince well, is a Grantland favorite.
0: and was. Can you talk about this? Because, okay, so Vince Staples... You have been. I liked his track Blue Suede last year. You've been talking him up for a while. He was a really good guest on the yeah, After you Dark know, you, podcast. I, he
1: has a couple of mixtapes out, and you and he made some appearances, like most notably on those Earl. Like I think the first Earl album it might be on the second one. I can't remember, but he's definitely got a couple of verses on the first Earl album. They're really good. And then I read an interview with him in LA Weekly where it was like the funniest. He was like the funniest dude I had ever heard talking about basketball. He's, like, he's twenty one, right? He's he's yeah, from El- he's, Long he, Beach. And he's like twenty one like years old. He's also just like he's like when you meet him, you're just like you're a baby. It's crazy. Uh, and then he uh, he's got this new record um, called Summertime 06, which references great, great album title. Like just that feeling of when you're when he was young and like what he was listening to back then. Not that the record really. <laughs> Should we talk about our summertime 06, or should we leave that for a second pod?
0: Because that—I don't really feel like youth is what I remember from summertime 06. No, <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> That was a real Ray Velcoro. No, that's I like exactly
1: that. why the way I meant it to scan. <laughs> um, please, please do go on. Yeah, uh, just say. Just say I was wearing a, a lot of tweed and bolo ties <laughs> back then. <laughs> yeah, um, that was, that in any case. Weird. Vince has a new album that comes out tomorrow, uh, June 30th. And he is joined on the racks by Meek Mill, Philadelphia's own. Um, And they're both just great records. Like Uh, Vince's record is one of the best albums I've heard this year along with. Let's talk about that for a minute. Yeah.
0: You've been pushing this guy for a minute. I like what I heard, but I didn't quite... I didn't get it. Yeah. And I and I, I said this to you on Gchat today. I feel like you should have led by saying that, that this kid made a record that is completely produced by No ID, who has long been associated with Kanye. Yeah. And Clams Casino, who is one of my favorite producers, and he worked did a lot, a lot of, the of the
1: early ASAP stuff.
0: ASAP Rocky stuff, and he's responsible for these really weird, melodic, haunting, <laughs> just a little bit disturbing sonic washes. Yeah. It, it, I never Like, you know, 10 years ago would never, I don't know who would have thought to rap over them, but... They actually work really well in this context. This record is focused as hell. Yes. Like, it is really riveting. It is totally exciting. And, it, and it's part of something that we've been talking about on the show for a while. And someone a lot smarter on this topic than me, I hope, will write about it. I don't know whether that's John Karamonic at The Times or Sean Fennessy at Grandland or even Chris Ryan of Grandland.com. But we are in this really interesting moment for rap records as grand statements. You know, right. which it is... To listen to this record, like listening to the Kendrick album, is to agree to buy a ticket to a completely sealed off world where this guy is in control yeah. of everything. Um, of the way it sounds, the way it feels, the way it makes you feel. and it's. But I will contrast this with Kendrick by saying Kendrick sort of feels very sprawling and, and he's willing to take these chances and walk into places that we don't know if we're willing to follow him on. This record is just like...
1: It's a rap is, record.
0: This is a rap record. This yeah.
1: is this is. And so yeah. is Meek. I mean, there's R&B stuff on Meek, but there's tracks on the Meek record Rico with Drake and Classic with Swizz Beats that are just like, yo, this could have come out in 08, this could have come out in 2010. And I don't mean that as like it's nostalgic. I just mean like this is just a hard rap record for the studio. Yeah, but can I, can I ask you this?
0: I was talking about this with Rem right before we recorded, but because he was standing here playing the Meek record on his <laughs> iPhone for me. But... Meek Mill hails from the city of Philadelphia, so I'm sure you know he has a lot of fond memories of the Friend School League, just like we do, yeah. you know, the same sort of experiences we had growing up there. Um, <laughs> he was imprisoned for a, a little bit yeah. last year. He, he caught a little bit of a charge, took a little bit of a trip. Not historically, rappers who are on the rise, or even who have risen, who then take a detour to prison, tend not to keep rising when they come out again. Yes. Like, people point to Wayne being on Rikers as the time when he fell off from his unbeatable world running run yes um like ti took a while to to recover from being in prison there are many others
1: now he's an ant man though so he's he's back
0: now he's an ant man so he's he's solid he's good (laughs) i mean maybe he can you know build build up a little bit to get to guardians of the galaxy 2 next year (laughs) but let's not get ahead of ourselves um this record is better than his first record
1: yeah meat mill does one thing really really well and that's enough really hype yeah and it's like you know, like basically is drinking the same bottle water as as Freeway, like just gets real animated. Uh, I agree with that. It's interesting that I didn't I didn't thought about it as like a a post prison statement like that. He's also dating Nicki Minaj, which
0: that can light a fire under any any person <laughs> in the world. Yeah. Um, speaking of of, of Nicki and she and, and Meek were in the front row of the BET Awards last night, this which have become a thing. I didn't I didn't really watch it, but I did I did catch some clips. You know, a day later. And a dollar <laughs> short. Um, I want to talk to you about the this. The bad boy reunion? This bad boy reunion. Like, twentieth yeah. 20 years of bad boy so recordings. So,
1: let's talk first about the glasses that Mason Puff were wearing. That's
0: where I wanted to start, too.
1: Uh, like, why, uh, those rimless? Like, what's going Terrific.
0: on? Terrific. Terrific. Like, they de- Those were definitely the glasses that, like, E-40 wore on his second record in 1993 with Sprinkle Me on it, where the cover is just, like, E-40. Mean, he's go- how
1: many E-40 songs do you know?
0: Just Sprinkle Me. Okay. And, uh, no, and tell me where to go. But tell me <laughs> when to go. But then he's also, like, in E-40 on the cover of that record. I'll never forget it because he's just, like, for the people watching a video, he's just, like... Yeah. He's doing the lean he, with he those glasses. He looks
1: like a Daily News columnist. Um, he does. <laughs> <laughs> he's, like, Ron Hextall is the worst thing ever to
0: happen to this franchise.
1: BS40 sprin- being a hot columnist would be great. He has,
0: he has sprinkle Me. Um, <laughs> what if, do you ever think Larry King, in one of his Larry King columns that was just like non sequiturs surrounded by ellipses, was ever just like, and another thing, Sprinkle Me. <laughs> yeah. I would read that column. He's
1: like, right after, and then he's like, the new 8-Ball and
0: MJG. <laughs> yeah, listen. How many 8-Ball and MJG songs do you know, Chris? A few. This is Hardball now. Listen, I love the glasses because, and I love seeing Mace because, unlike many rappers, who passage of time affects them in different ways yeah. you know, they're, they're 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 the they're, older they're, gods <laughs> their heat heat rocks become oldies yeah mace is born to be an old man rapper you know what i mean like it suited him yeah mace seemed thrilled to be there and, and and this is the guy who who quit at the height of his career to become a pastor which didn't really work out for him and then tried to come back with 50 cent a couple times and like He seemed very comfortable doing these old tracks again. He seemed happy. You know who else seemed comfortable
1: about the old tracks is everybody who was in attendance at the BET Awards. Like Gabrielle Union knowing all the words to all the songs that were going on. Rihanna singing along to Faith
0: Evans. It wasn't just that. It was that Gabrielle Union knew all the words like Peaches and Cream by 112. Yeah. (laughs) You know who didn't know all the words to Peaches and Cream by 112? 112. (laughs) E-40. No members like yeah. one through eleven of one twelve. I'm not. just saying, those dudes coming out there. and fail. The, the one dude was like, "Where are all my one twelve fans out?" And I'm like, "They are in rows six through nine, and there only aren't any on others." The aisle. Yeah. Don't ask that question. This was a, here. Okay, here was the other point I wanted to make about this. Just in general, it was super weird to see. Did he fell? Did he fell through a trap door? Apparently. Well, they had the trap door for little Kim,
1: so, you know. As a person who's fallen through a trap door. Yes, you have while well DJing. Yeah. I, uh, in a bar in Brooklyn when I was DJing once. I, uh, you didn't need to say that. They would have assumed Ibiza. <laughs> but there was, like, a thing behind the bar where it was, like, where they went down to, like, change the kegs or whatever. And the person was like, don't, just make sure you check, mm-hmm. you know, and the light will be on because I'll be down there changing a, che- a keg. But, you know, mm-hmm. just don't fall through the trap door. And at the end of the night, Mm. Um, <laughs> at the end of the night, after playing all the Ray Velcoro anthems, yeah, we were um, just playing
0: like like just just the Rapture Heat Rocks. It was two thousand
1: three. I uh, I stepped away from the the iPod turntables and and promptly fell eight feet down onto my back. The, the at which worst point, that Russian it, guy was like, "Don't sue me!"
0: Right? That was the first thing out of his mouth. It was basically like. All, all this is liquid, bro. Like, I, like, like, please.
1: He's like, please. I don't want to be diminished. <laughs> I don't want to be
0: a diminished man. That was Frank Semyon, and that's how this whole thing got started. Yeah. Listen, I thought it was really weird to see, you know, I, this is not going to win us a lot of fans with the younger demographic of the HB podcast, but, like, these were songs of our life, and now they were, like, real old. Yeah, like, they, they were this, oldies. They,
1: I, that's, this is why I was a little bit reticent to get into this. To even talk about it? Because I, that was, this was, like, the... I'm already fine. Like, I know about how, like, Big Daddy Kane and Rakim and BDP and Public Enemy songs are, like, oldies, you know? Yes. That's one thing. But to have things that I remember from now, like, college, end of college, being turned into oldies, you know? Like, and when I'm there and, like, God forbid when they give Rihanna a Lifetime Achievement Award, I'm just going to lose it. Like, <laughs> I can't all, that'll handle it. That. That'll,
0: be, that'll be next year
1: yeah. because things
0: are moving really quickly. I thought it was interesting to see Stith Rihanna comes up. Th- like, Rihanna like, thanks, peace, <laughs> uh, Ron Hextall. I think that um, it's interesting to watch though the the curation of history. In that when Bad Boy was was becoming a thing in like yeah. 92, 93, 94, Craig Mack. Was right up there with Biggie. Yeah. Believe in your Ear was their big track. And there was a moment when people were like, oh, who you got? Yeah. Like, which one of these rappers right. is going to be Murray? the one that matters? <laughs> like, yeah. Well, that was, uh, he was on Def Jam. But look. I know, I know,
1: but I'm just saying, like, those were the guys who were, like, in the ring at that time.
0: Oh, exactly. Jeru, Keith Murray, Craig Mack, <laughs> or the notorious, what's his name? <laughs> yeah. Like, which one of these guys. He'll is never pop go off? anywhere
1: with like, a name like that.
0: <laughs> what a ridiculous thing.
1: Here's my I, thing pr- is I need BET Awards to start uh, celebrating different crews every year. So, yes. like next year, have flip mode?
0: <laughs> oh, my God. First of all, s- somewhere in the wilds of North Jersey, Spliff Star's antenna just went like,
1: like,
0: like that dude from Buck Rogers. Yeah. He is so ready. Do
1: Def Squad one year.
0: Yes. Why don't they do that? I mean, because I first know. of all, everyone in the crowd will know it. See, the also, thing is, is that
1: we say this and then we don't go to rock the bells.
0: No. No, I want to watch it on TV. I don't want to be surrounded by people exactly like us, as thirsty for nostalgia as us. Yeah. Two, two final comments. Faith Evans was a queen. Mm-hmm. She was fantastic. Going from her, like, triumphant, like, emerging onto the stage to French Montana was like skipping from Empire Strikes Back to The Phantom Menace directly. Yeah. Like, yeah. that was a, that
1: bummed me out. It was, she- but it, everything got saved when Sheikh Looch came out. She came
0: yeah. out, and when he came <laughs> out still trying to cop those colossal sized Picasso's, I got a little teary eyed. <laughs> that was a good moment. I
1: can't think of a better note to end on.
0: That was that was a good moment. You know, one of these days, we're going to get them. Also, good to know that though 20 years have passed, and as we learned last week, culture has advanced in a lot of ways. Yeah. You still cannot say the word on <laughs> national TV without getting beeped.
1: Let's see if we can say it on a podcast.
0: Let's see if we can sneak it in and under the wire. Uh, the all
1: right, Andy, we'll be back next week to discuss uh, all of Sheik Lucha's solo albums.
0: <laughs> I've been waiting to do that for four years. <laughs> I'll talk Bye. to you next week. Great job, Baranski! <laughs>
1: Jody Abergan
0: from 538 here to tell you about our new podcast called What's the Point? The show focuses on how big data is changing our lives and features interviews like this one from Neil deGrasse Tyson. Uh, by the way, we've been into big data from the beginning, long before anyone even knew the term big data. We have the universe we're measuring <laughs> here. Check it out. That's What's the Point on iTunes and at 538.com right now.